we are enjoined to come to this celebration joyful and triumphant. And these words echo across the centuries. Joyful because our deepest joy is bound up with the kind of love and hope and purpose and meaning that we find in the story that begins this night. And triumphant because we sense the beginning of God's victory over the powers of this world, the power of sin and the power of death. We come joyful because whether we are happy and full this night or sad and lonely, either way, we know that deep sense of possibility that all can be right with the world and can be right with us. Triumphant, not in some way that makes for our power or our glory or our victory, but because we are invited to share in God's most costly triumph. And so we come before the throne of grace, joyful and triumphant, to give adoration to the word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. So Christmas is filled with images of life in the midst of death. A light shines in the darkness, a rose blooms in winter, a woman conceives against all odds, and a child in a faraway village is born in a hollowed-out rock cave intended for animals, and that child we say, will be the light of the world. And all of creation bends toward this marvelous thing that has come to pass, like trees turning towards sunlight. A star shines in the east, choirs of angels, marking the whole company of heaven sing in exultation. And in Luke, the shepherds are the poor and the outcast the world over. And in Matthew, the magi are the powers and potentates of this world. The animals seen in art and artifact to attend the birth also turn toward the manger, the whole of creation, looking for some kind of fulfillment of some kind of expectation of some kind of promise. Now, we know a lot about our hopes and dreams and expectations and how they'll be reshaped as we come to terms with the story of this child. But on this night, the hopes and fears of all the years come together in this otherwise unremarkable birth. The shepherds look for justice, hope that they can be affirmed and recognized for who they are, welcomed in society rather than feared and shunned. The magi are looking for some source of wisdom that will lead to the good life for everyone. The animals simply hoping for sustenance. Heavenly beings are filled with joy at this new relationship with God's creation on earth. If you're deaf, you hope to hear. If you're blind, you hope to see. Those who are barren want new life. If you're struggling with money, you just want it to be over. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. And prisoners want freedom. Prisoners want freedom. We're all prisoners of something in one way or another. And we're all prisoners of our hopes and dreams in some sense until we're released by greater hope and bolder dreams. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is among the greatest in my personal pantheon of saints. He was imprisoned during the Second World War for his part in the plot of the German resistance to kill Adolf Hitler. And in December 1943, he wrote to his parents from prison, he said, for the prisoner, the Christmas story is glad tidings in a very real sense. And that faith gives the prisoner 
a part in the communion of saints, a fellowship transcending the bounds of time and space and reducing the months of confinement here into insignificance. On Christmas Eve, I shall be thinking of you all very much, and I want you to believe that I too shall have a few hours of real hope and that I'm not allowing my troubles to get the better of me. He was not released. We do not exactly most of the time get released from the real prisons in which we find ourselves as much as we are granted grace to reconceive our place in the world in new ways as we turn toward what is of real and ultimate worth and discover over and over what is truly important in life. Yesterday a remarkable thing happened here as it does many days but there were a number of you great many people preparing these glorious decorations these glorious flowers and using all of this marvelous creativity to the glory of God and in walked a person who if not homeless looked as if he might be and spoke briefly to Alvin Moore and then walked all the way up the aisle all the way to the altar, and David Lowe was over there somewhere arranging flowers. And he knelt down in front of the creche and was silent for a while, and then he dug in his pockets and pulled out a dollar. And he put it there right on the creche and said, Happy birthday, baby Jesus. And he got up, turned around, and said anything else to anyone else, and just walked out. Now, maybe that extraordinary creative act of generosity just changed his world for a moment, as it can for us, and released him from some kind of a prison. It certainly changed. It was a gift to those who witnessed what he did, and that dollar bill is still there where he left it. Now, Luke in particular, gives us many hints of how this works, how this drawing us into seeing ourselves and seeing our world a little differently uh, is granted through the story of the child whose birth we celebrate this night. So at the beginning of the story, we're told there is no room at the inn. And throughout the story, we're told that this child who grew up uh, to, to, to lead many had no place to lay his head. He was outcast his whole life long. And in the end, we're granted grace to see the tendency that we have to set things up for people to get cast out of society, to get people made into scapegoats, or even put to death for our anxiety. And that's a prison from which this story is releasing us. Or at the beginning of the story, the shepherds. The shepherds were not some 19th century piece of pastoral art, but a rather suspect and dirty group. They were avoided rather as modern roms or gypsies might have been avoided in many parts of the world. But they were, it turns out, the true inheritors of the tradition of the shepherd, the shepherd king, David. They were the ones who were included. They were the tax collectors. They were the sinners with whom Jesus ate. They were the poor for whom God had particular concern. And there at the beginning of the story, Jesus is wrapped 
in swaddling clothes, swaddled in the culture, in the words of one commentator, bound, as many of us are, by the circumstances of our lives. But in the end, those swaddling clothes would no more define Jesus or confine Jesus uh, than the shroud they wrapped him in for burial. We don't have to be bound in the culture when we start really grasping the meaning of this story. He was laid in a manger with a place for food. And he was to be found or discovered throughout his life and beyond, even to the inn on the road to Emmaus around the breaking of bread. So we who remember that the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to God will triumph in what really matters in the days to come as we gather around the table this night for a simple meal, simple looking for new life in the breaking of bread and beginning to see ourselves and each other in new light which casts out darkness and we'll sing, let all mortal flesh keep silent and with fear and trembling stand, ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage, our full attention, our full will and passion and hope and love to demand, our full homage to demand.